Hey team, welcome to episode 10 of Transition Talk, where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. So last time on episode nine, we focused on the seller in this whole transition process, and we focused primarily on whether or not a seller was ready for an outright sale. In this episode, we're going to stay in this seller mindset, um, but we're going to talk about another type of transition, the partnership. And we've said it time and time again, and it's no different with partnerships. A transaction of any kind, either partial or full, is not only a business transaction, it is an emotional process. And selling any portion of your practice at the right time is so important to, to be successful. Now, remember, buyers, don't tune out quite yet. Understanding a partnership mindset from a seller's perspective can be wildly beneficial to you as well. So now we talk about partnerships, but first, good morning, Mr. Good Loretto. morning, Miss Radcliffe. <laughs> how are you? I am good. How are you? I'm feeling old today. I celebrated Why? a big birthday and I'm just... I'm 39? Old. Yes, 39 is yeah. for the record. Let's move <laughs> on to business. I am 39 as of yesterday. Talking about being emotionally ready for yes. something. <laughs> I'm going to go get a burial plot uh, coming up here next. Well, just hang around. We have a few more episodes. So just as in an outright sale, um, when we talk about partnerships, and partnerships are a different animal. Yes, they are a business transaction, and yes, they're selling a part of your business, but there's a lot more intricacies that we have to talk about with a partnership. There are still two areas that kind of need your attention when you're getting ready for this, and that's you seller, you, 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 in various facets. And then there's also your practice. Mm -hmm. Today, we're going to start with the practice. So let's first, let's talk about the practice and the practice operations and kind of what that means to be ready to enter a partnership from, from that perspective. So first off, what makes a practice from a size and production standpoint ready for a partnership? I'm a seller who's for whatever reason, I'm ready to kind of bring on an associate to partner because that's typically how it works. What makes my practice scream partnership and what screams like pump the brakes, not ready yet? Right, right, right. So first, I absolutely love this topic. I love presenting on this topic in, in meetings where we've got, you know, 100, 150 in, in a lecture room and I get to play the associate things. I get to play with the, the senior doctor things and and it just—it's really a fun, fun lecture. Again, I think you've got to see the both sides of it, both buyer and seller. So, let's play with the uh, two practices uh, first. The general dentist practice—it's got to scream it's ready. It's got to be, you know, ideally a general practice. Uh, the scenario that looks great to the buyer and great to the seller is typically that million, one million, two million, three. It's busy. I mean, we're doing, we've got, you know, eight full-time hygiene days, you know, a week. We've got 40 plus new patients, perhaps or procedures uh, that were being, you know, being referred out. There's plenty of chairs. We've got, you know, at least the capability of six chairs, at least at the plum, so that each doctor will have that ability to have, you know, two clinical chairs, you know, each. This just absolutely just says, bring in the associate or if you're the associate listening, that this is kind of uh, the ideal scenario. Now, there are scenarios that don't scream it, but you've got to ask more questions. And so I can relate back to a young lady at LSU. I gave this lecture to the students there, and the LSU sister, D3, came up and she says, I think you described my sister's practice 
of what not to do, and so can you help me? And so the what not to do was it was a 700 collection practice and it only made around 200,000. This just screams it's not ready for for an association because there's not enough money, there's not enough patience, there's just it's just not there. But when you ask more questions, I think it's really important. In this case, she was open three days a week. In this case, she wasn't seeing kids. In this case, she was only taking one insurance plan and she could have taken multiple insurance plans. And so what we did in that scenario was is look inside of it, gave her some type of per diem that was reasonable, roughly around 500 a day. We've got her sister in there, worked a couple of days, expanded to the third day, started adding seeing children, adding these insurance plans, beefed up the marketing a little bit, and you know, all of a sudden now it's a, a 1.3, 1.4 million dollar practice, and they're both working three days a week. You know, and, and the story ends great. We've been and lowered the overhead with this practice because the, the practice went up, and uh, they're both making roughly around two hundred and fifty thousand dollars each, which is a number that works for both of them. So there's every single practice. I mean, there's if it's a GP practice, it's roughly a million two, million three, something like that. That typically screams the senior doctor can't do anymore. The uh, pediatric dentist, that number may be a million three. Uh, an endodontist is typically like a five to six canal, you know, kind of, uh, uh, that's their maximum. So you may see those numbers around one, one, or depending on fee schedules, maybe it's 900, it could be one, two, or one, three. But general rule is there is a break even for each of the specialties. In this case for general dentistry, about that million two. So I think that it's important to know that number and some of the numbers inside that practice. So you as a senior doctor or associate doctor looking in, you can be able to analyze this and make a really good decision. Yeah. And there are two points I wanted to kind of touch on there as well. I think that if you're a seller and you're in the case two scenario, that smaller practice, you have to understand what you're offering to a buyer and that buyer has to be in that same position to be willing to take that, right? Mm -hmm. In your example, Vera's sisters, that was their ultimate goal was to work together and they were both willing to take maybe a pay cut for a period of time. If I'm a seller and I'm offering something that's maybe below market to an unrelated, unknown associate and having them join my practice, I have to make sure that I understand that that maybe isn't as attractive as maybe some of the other offers they might get, but finding maybe a buyer who is coming back to their hometown and really you know wants to work there. So you kind of have to make sure you understand what you're offering understand if it's I'm asking someone to take a leap of faith with me or I'm asking someone to to maybe take something less than what they could make otherwise. I think that's important. And from a second perspective, I think it's also not only is your practice ready financially, you know, going to take off, but we also see scenarios where a seller is working really hard and harder than they want to work. And for personal reasons, they want to take a step back. And so their ability to take a step back may make a practice that's not the perfect time to transition, maybe makes it an opportunity. So again, looking at every opportunity, understanding the dynamics, we may say, you may bring us a practice that's doing 700 or 800 and talking about partnership. And we may say, absolutely not. And then you explain the story behind it and it makes sense. So one thing I wanted to say too, is is when we typically think partnership, we're thinking that the two of you are going to be working together in this partnership role, associate partner, you know, more than five years, anything less than five years we consider this more of an acquisition, more of a walk away where you might be the associate for one to two years and then you purchase it or sell or same scenario where, where you bring them in and then you're slowly kind of pulling back. 
and then they become the owner and then yeah like technically you have a partnership for the time you're working together but when we're talking about partnership today we're talking about long term there's no retirement date set in this in the future okay so one of the things that kind of you touched on in your examples is the space that you have in your practice right that can be a limiting factor in how much production can be done right practices Patients are booked out forever. As an associate, I need a certain number of doctor ops and a certain number of doctor days in order to be able to produce something that makes sense for me to buy in at a certain level. We've definitely seen practices. I know I'm working with someone who is limited and Mm -hmm. the patients are there, the production's there, the collection's there, but the selling doctor isn't quite cutting back enough and isn't willing to give up the doctor time. Now, they've experimented with staggered schedules and expanding hours, Mm -hmm. but neither of them love that. And so it's been challenging for them. Now, luckily, the seller owns the building that we're talking about, and they have plans for expanding and kind of creating another op to alleviate that. But is your practice big enough to take on that associate? If not, and you own your building, what are the plans for doing that in the future and making sure that you're being realistic about how you're going to make that work space-wise? That's right. I mean, you're just really looking for always that two doctor ops per doctor and then to look to see what hygiene, if it's a two hygiene practice or if it's three hygienists. So in that scenario, obviously, we would need seven operatories to be at full, full capacity. Yep. And one of the things that you talk about in your lecture, and I think is important here because the sellers often say, well, hey, I own this building. Like, I'm not going to just invest in expanding to another operatory, right. you know, what if this person doesn't buy in or what happens? And now I'm stuck with this additional cost and this space that I don't necessarily need. So let's talk about the break even on an associate, which is an important thing to understand. Not only is it just the salary that you're paying them or the compensation, but there's all of these other costs you're going to incur when you bring on someone like this that's going to be a partner. I love it just that you get the staff involved first. You know, So let's get the team involved to help make this decision, bring this person in. And then let's explain the financials to this young person and make sure that they see the vision of where the practice is growing. And so, you know, and that uh, practice uh, transition lecture that I give, and we also give here at at Kane Waters, we'll run a break-even analysis on this associate. And so the first thing we would do is take a look at the associate's, you know, salary. And we'd look at their Social Security tax and basically a benefit package. We'd look at maybe we need to bring a full-time assistant in, and maybe that assistant's going to run us, you know, two grand a month. We'll look at maybe if we do put two operatories in, it's going to be a, quote, $75,000 investment or some number like that. We don't want to take a look at that capital improvement investment, maybe finance that over a five-year period and get like a true monthly cost. In other words, what's our outlay per month for this doctor? In this example, it's $11,000. We'll put this up on the website uh, for the blog today. But what we would do is now take $11,000 and we'd also take a look at what our lab cost is, what our supply costs, what our office supplies on, maybe just some additional cushion. And then we would back in what our true break-even is. And so in this example, it's $188,000 on an annual basis or $15,000 a month. And so we run this exercise out for our clients just so they can see it. Most importantly, it's not just that you see it established, doctor, but I think that associate needs to see it, the staff mm-hmm. needs to see it, because if we're running a loss, everyone needs to know that. So there's a sense of urgency or pressure on all the parties, but the key is that the buyer doesn't think that you're just taking money home in bags. 
anything over maybe the base salary of 7500 bucks. So it's really, really important just to have a, a clear vision of the investment for this project and bringing on the associate, but be able to see what's in it for you. And we'll talk a little bit about the, the why you're doing this coming up. Yep, absolutely. So another financial piece, which again, we talked about in a walkaway sale situation, the next two we did, but they also apply in partnerships and that's your overhead. The more trim your overhead, the more profitable your practice, the higher your valuation. Like that's just the basics. Can you repeat that and say it slow? (laughs) The lower your overhead, the higher your profitability, the higher your valuation. Dear buyers, if you see a million dollar practice with a 50% overhead, this is a gold mine. Do not screw it up. Correct. Dear sellers, if you've got this million, two, million, three, 50% overhead, realize that you've got plenty of cash and we should get a much higher valuation out of your business because it's extremely profitable and most importantly, it's extremely attractive to both the buyer and the next party is the bank. So if you've got a high overhead, understand it is going to hurt your valuation. I cannot make this, uh, this story up. I just got a call this morning with a gentleman who had 26% between his lab and his supply. So it's, it's absolutely crushing, crushing his overhead. And he was just really unaware of it. And he's got a million for practice and he is bringing the associate and it just doesn't make financial sense. We've got to focus on that overhead. This example for that client before we bring in the associate and really dry up the bank account. Yeah, and know that if you have just a slightly elevated overhead, that growing the collections is going to bring that yes. down and bring yes. that, you know, and if it's staff costs because you're staffing up in order to bring the associate on and that's all going to even out once you grow. I mean, there are definitely pieces here, but if you are operating at a 65, 70, 75% overhead, know that the cash there for you to split doesn't change when you bring that person on and it's going to impact you. And so do your best to try to kind of minimize that, re-examine your cost, go back to the early days of your practice when you were penny-pinching and really try to figure out how do I get the best bang for my buck because it's going to hit your bottom line and it's going to impact the profit that's available for you to, you know, you and associate to split once you're partners. Can I comment? Sure. I think one of the things you do really good when working with the seller consulting is building those models out just to see that increase of those collections. It works also too when we represent buyers. They, they see these practices and does 800 with like, well, what happens if it was 850 or 900? And just to see how that profit margin yeah. becomes just more profitable mm-hmm. with that increased collections. And so it, it is cool to see. And that certainly is, you know, you being the, the, the CPA and really understanding the, the numbers is be able to have that forecast out, have our fixed costs set and see what our true incremental cost between our direct costs, which is our supplies, lab and office supplies. It's usually around 14, 15%. And if we can make an extra dollar and take home almost 85 cents with no additional cost, this is dentistry can be extremely profitable. Right. You just have to see it and be motivated by that. Yeah, and pay attention to those numbers. Mm-hmm. Another area is systems and technology, which we also touched on in a walkaway sale. From a partnership perspective, what we often see is the need to make investments right. in order in technology in order to bring the associate on. So whether or not that associate does something that you don't or they just kind of need that up-to-date technology because that's what they were trained on. And what we often get is sellers being hesitant to make that investment because they don't need it or use it or expecting the buyer to cover 100% of the cost of that. Like they're going to use it, so they should buy it. It should be 100% allocated to them. And again, 
let's shift back to what our mindset should be, which is we're partners. Mm -hmm. We are both profiting from this. You do well, I do well. And so what we recommend is, yes, someone should pay for a a piece of that, right? It should be considered as part of their value if you're investing in that. It should be a joint decision to buy new equipment and new technology once you've identified that associate. But that this should be part of what you talked about earlier, which is that break-even of that associate. And so remember that investments in technology, now you can make bad investments in technology, you can make unnecessary investments in technology. They still don't give you dollar for dollar on value. And you're not going to get every penny back if you make an investment before you find someone. But being smart about those decisions once you've identified that associate that's going to be your partner and moving forward in a smart way on those investments is important. So you're saying if you bought a $150,000 cone beam and all the implants in the world and you haven't placed one implant, that might be a little extravagant? I think that would be extravagant. Okay, okay. So but that's I, what we're But I saying. can tell you there are people that think that they should get $150,000 more on their on their value, even right. though it's not adding a dollar to their profitability. Spoken from the CD, not me. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, I think the summary of this section is that partnerships and really this whole podcast is partnerships are work or this episode, right? Partnerships are a lot of work. They are. And they're work from, I know you have a checklist of things you like to have done whenever an associate comes on board, but website, phone, I mean, go through some of those pieces for me. Yeah. So I love a beautiful website. I don't want to be where the associate doctors at the very bottom of the website. I want the updated pictures with the entire team and I want them to feel a part of it. I want the, the phone to be the Loretto Ratcliffe answering the phone and not just Loretto and how great he is. I want, you know, I'm introducing, in this case, if I was introducing Christy as my associate, I just wouldn't be, hey, this is Christy, the associate, but this is my partner, Dr. Ratcliffe, and she's amazing, and she treats not just myself, but my entire family. The team is on board as well as how they're introducing, mm-hmm. uh, so that handoff to that hygiene patient that's been around for, you know, 15 or 20 years, uh, we need to be able to, to transition the goodwill from the senior doctor to the buying doctor. And these are mainly language skills uh, that you're using in the office, but as well as the the perception that we have just on the website and, and all our marketing material yeah. needs to reflect that we are equals. Yeah, and it's the tone at the top for sure. I mean, it is, it trickles down your staff can sense when something is amiss between you two, or if you make comments, they're going to take those. I mean, of course, they're going to be more loyal to the senior doctor at first. I mean, that's the relationship they have. And so just be cognizant of that and make sure that from the moment one, you're treating them as a partner and not just the, you know, junior associate who's joining your practice. And I think the most successful ones we see have that feeling. Yeah. The thing I want to add here is senior doctors, when you are considering this associate, we prefer that you're explaining this to your team up front, why you, you need to have an associate in the practice. It's important to you know, share those goals, uh, the break-even numbers with them, and let them be involved in the decision-making. You're looking for, if you've got 16 members, that six for six are saying, whatever, Christy's a no-brainer. This person is absolutely what we're looking for. She's just a gem that's gonna be perfect. And they're they're on board with it. You really want that. If it's all if you just all of a sudden make this decision, you hire the employee and say, Hey, here's the associate, she starts tomorrow, no reasons why. Chances of success are not great. So we just we, we want a plan of attack how we bring these people in. Absolutely. And part of that is you 
seller understanding why you want to enter a partnership and right. the you piece of this, right? And that's that's the second piece of getting ready for a partnership. You got your practice ready. You have to be ready both financially and emotionally. And so financially, of course, number one thing is your financial plan ready. And we say that and most people would say, well, you know, why do I need my financial plan to be ready? I get it with a walk away, but why with a partnership? And the reason is oftentimes your cash flows will decrease when you bring on that associate and maybe even in the early years of partnership, right? Because you're sharing the profitability of that practice now with your new partner. Now, they may grow, they likely will grow, and they should grow, and and you'll get back to those pre-associate cash flows, but there will be a decrease. And so your financial plan needs to be ready for that. One of the things that we work on, and I'm going to let you talk about, is partnerships allow you the ability to pull out some equity in your practice over time, which can be a big, big financial boon for, for a seller over time, especially if they start and plan it appropriately. Yeah. So I typically say is you take a small pay cut when you bring the associate in, you need to know what that pay cut's going to look like. And then typically before the sale, you will you should be making a profit off of that associate. Why would you sell to someone if you're not making a profit? And young buyer, they need to make a profit off of you because typically they are uh, losing money on you. You need to know how much uh, that they've lost on you and how much they've gained. And so typically a couple of years down the road, you'll see these practices that are the one, two numbers grow to the one, six, one, seven numbers. And then when you look at the profitability of the practice, uh, you should be able to split the money pro rata basis um, of what of who's doing what. And typically you'll see that senior doctor kind of coming back to that same number they were making before. Maybe at first they were making 400, then they dipped a little bit to the 350, then they barely got back to the four, then they went back maybe to the six, 650 number, but we part of that 650 is we're paying the associate. So the goal is to just to be able to see those numbers, but what's in it for you and why you would do this. And I think where Kane Waters, you know, CPA firm, they've done a really good job is they typically, they want to do a financial plan for that established doctor and really show them the why. So let me show you the why. So as a 38-year-old, maybe you've just been in practice for, let's say, you know, six or seven years, and maybe you've got your debt paid down and you've got this million, two, million, three practice. You do bring in the associate, but you're like, why would I do that? That's crazy. I built this thing, and and why would I bring a partner in 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 less than two years? Well, here's the why. So an example I use at a practice transition lecture is there's a 38-year-old, and two years down the road, we create this partnership. And during that partnership, we value the business, and the young buyer hands you a check of a little over $450,000. After tax, you are left... Dr. Seller with $350,000. And so $350,000 is a number, how big a number is when you really look at your financial plan. But at the age of 40, if you can let that compound in an investment arena and you get an 8% rate of return, that means every nine years your money will double. So at the age of 49, that money compounds from 350 to 700. And then in nine years later, at the age of 58, that money compounds from 700,000 to 1.4. And at 58, you still feel great. So what do you do? You let it compound again. So at the age of 67, the $350,000 decision you made 27 years ago has now compounded to 
$2.8 million uh, in this example. And so when you understand the why in something like that, it's very motivational. You understand the why of what the break-even is and uh, maybe cutting your clinical schedule back from a four-day week to a three-and-a-half-day week and understand the why of being able to share all the hygiene checks and not to be able to stress when you're going you know, out of country where you've got a, a partner, a team member, team members that are there, they're all bought in so that all your patients are taken care of. This is the why. And this is actually the why of what this millennial generation, they like partnerships. Mm-hmm. They want to work in groups. It's what mm-hmm. the 85 million have been tested and quizzed, and they like working in groups and certainly is the trend in dentistry yep. today. It's so important just to see that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that understanding financially where you are and then also taking a step back and really making sure emotionally you're ready. If you've worked, if you are the 40-year-old, you've practiced by yourself for probably for 10-ish years, sometimes longer, and you have to figure out, am I ready emotionally to share control of this practice that I've built? I've worked solo for this long. We refer to partnerships as the business marriage. It's your business spouse. And so you have to share control. Now, we don't believe in there are plenty of different methods out there for partnerships so you got to do you you got to have your own method we believe in not the junior senior partner role right we believe if you're a partnership decisions are equal whether I own 15% or whether I own 51 we make decisions jointly this is our business and our partnership so you have to be ready to share that control now you can certainly set up your partnership however you want to set up your partnership and we're happy to help you do that but if you ask our opinion on kind of what makes the most successful one that's what that is and then are you ready to day to day go in and share clinical philosophies and maybe it's not exactly what you would do but accept that and work Mm -hmm. through that I think it's an emotional leap I think for most people to be able to do that when they've operated one way for so many years so yeah just looking on that emotional side that the and typically men are the worst at this (laughs) I was gonna let you say that they're smart they're like bring them in and they're just like hey take over you know men typically want to hold on they're much more controlling over the, the practice and maybe clinical direction and just patience and that usually is because they're just not ready. And, yeah. and so we see it. Like We'll talk to somebody and it's like, they're not ready. Nope, they're not ready. Call yeah. me back. Call me back. Uh, but then they'll say, they'll kind of call. Uh, I can think of a good friend, L.M. Arnold. And L.M., uh, he called me one day and he said, Charlie, I'm finally ready. I'm finally <laughs> ready. I'm going to listen to you and I'm ready. You know, and it was just cute because we see it all the time. And we see it sometimes. You associate it in practice. It's just they don't want to let it go. Yeah. You know, I want to give is when you're ready, you're ready to give 75% of all new patients, you know, to the associate. You're ready to cut back on your schedule from four days to three days. Yeah. And being realistic of this person who you're bringing on is likely younger than you. Yes. They likely have never owned their own practice. That's why they're coming to you. They're going to be an associate and then a partner. They aren't going to have the business experience right. that you have. They're not going to have the same clinical experience you have. And so to set the expectation and set that bar that they're going to come in and be able to be a flawless partner, maybe you find someone older that this is the second time they've done this. But in most situations, it's going to be their first time as well. And so you have to understand, again, seller, putting yourself 
yourself in buyer's shoes, buyer, put yourself in seller's shoes, and really try to understand the expectation that you're setting and that if your expectations are too high, there's probably no one that's going to be able to meet those. No. And one other thing, too, on the, on the seller side is you've got all these business, you know, call them systems. If it's, you know, calling in payroll, it's the team meetings, it's controlling supplies, it's, you know, whatever that is, yeah. if you've got to uh, have a game plan over that two-year period and associate and getting them uh, to understand all the businesses sharing those and letting them take responsibility for some of those yeah yeah the the quickest way for a young person to understand the importance of payroll is let them fail (laughs) let six primarily women crawl up little associates rear end and say where is my money (laughs) yeah yeah that, that will teach you. That will teach you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I want to make sure that we mention, and before we wrap up today, we have another super insightful resource. Our affiliate, Kane Waters, has a three-part podcast called Creating Successful Dental Practice Partnerships, yes. where they go into extreme detail on this subject. We think it's a great resource here at NDP for those considering partnership. And so I'm going to post a link directly to that podcast in our blog post. And so please check that out. There's, as we said, you know, there's more than we can cover on our short podcast today and they do a great job at it. So that's all we have for today. Remember, check out our website for transition resources, subscribe to Transition Talk on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and like us on Facebook or LinkedIn. Until next time, Mr. Loretto. Thank you, Ms. Radcliffe. You guys have a great day. All right.